Good morning. Man, that song is a blessing, isn't it? It's called a blessing, and it's from Old Testament scripture, and it's just amazing. Um, I feel like um, when it was originally prayed and, and uh, brought before that it was really kind of God speaking through his people to his people. And uh, so I feel that way, you know, that um, a lot of the songs we do were singing to God. But that one, he's kind of ministering to us, and it's, it just really touches me. It's powerful. So um, you probably heard from Samantha, but uh, my name is Larry. I'm one of the elders here, Larry Van Hoos, and we're giving Mike a break this week. Um, He's been ministering in pain. Um, we're hoping that that will pass soon. But uh, in the meantime, we just uh, we really don't have announcements, but there's a couple things I want to draw your attention to. One is, did any of you see the new sign on the new building? I mean, it really pops off there. If you didn't get to see it, you know, go out and have a look at it. I feel like it really does what we want it to do, and that's speak to the community. And uh, there's obviously... Um, there's, there's a meaning behind the name with the, the scripture 242, Acts 242, um, and the use of the community building. But uh, yeah, t- take a look at it. If you came in the front, you can walk around and uh, check it out. And I think you'll like what we've done there. We're going to get a new sign. You might have seen some work out in the parking lot. We're getting a new sign out there as well for the church. And it's going to be stone, but it'll match the color scheme of this sign as well. So you kind of get an idea what that's going to look like. And then the other thing, this is getting ready to happen, I don't know, in the next day or two, we are starting to work with some of the other churches in the area with the foster care system here in the area because it's just gotten so out of hand. You know, the, the Bible calls us, God calls us to work with widows and orphans, and uh, certainly all foster children aren't orphans, but, you know, they need parents right now, and uh, we want to help those families as much as we can. So we're working with the foster care system, and one of the things we're doing is going to help them get supplies a lot of times the children are taken out of a bad situation, you know, just like that, and they have nothing. Uh, the clothes on their back, if that. Well, no, they, they're going to have the clothes on their back. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, Mike's going to post more about that and uh, how you all can get involved and certainly share it with other people and other churches in the community that you're connected with. And uh, we'll see if we can't get some of those needs met for those families. Um, I, I want to start... But just warning you in advance that the message that I'm going to share today is really just something that the Lord's been dealing with me about. Mike and I um, went to a, a, a network event at Highlands Church in Abingdon a couple weeks ago, and uh, they were the speaker was supposed to kind of take most of the time was scheduled to talk about life groups during the pandemic, and uh, so I was jazzed about that because it's very difficult to do the life groups. We've got amazingly, you know, seven or eight or nine going. Um, But it's different, you know, it's a little bit harder. Everything seems just a little bit harder right now. And uh, so I was excited about going to that meeting and uh, got there and we hadn't been sitting down just a couple minutes and Mike said, did you hear that? Which he says to me a lot because I don't hear half of what people are saying around me. And I was like, no. And he said, the the main speaker's not going to be here, he's sick. And I was like, you talk about a letdown. I was just like, man, I had to spend the day with Mike and I don't even get to hear (laughs) what I went to hear. But no, they, uh, they, they substituted some of the regular speakers in there with little short messages. And uh, one of the messages really kind of resonated with me. And it, he guy talked 10, 15 minutes at the most. And I, I just really want to share with you all how God has continued to kind of expand on that, what that the minister shared with me. And uh, so just the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking about this and meditating on it and 
seems like, do you ever get a car, and, and you may have never saw that particular car before, or that model, or that color, and then all of a sudden you start seeing it everywhere? You know, you, you drive it home, you got it probably, the first time you take it out, you see the guy two do- doors down from you has got the same car. And you're like, man, I thought I was original. But um, I digress. The thing is that uh, ever since that little message, God's just been speaking to me about this topic. And it's an interesting topic. When I read it on the agenda that they handed out to us, I was like, what is, what is he talking about? Um, but the name of the message is Ministry in Place. And uh, like I said, when I read that, I was a little bit confused. And then um, he got up, the speaker's name, I believe, was Todd. And he gave his main point uh, in the message, and, and I got that as my first point as well, is that your ministry has to be contextualized to your place. The place matters. And, and again, even after he said that, that didn't clarify anything for me. I mean, I, I just kind of said in, in my head, well, duh. <laughs> you know, obviously you have to speak and minister to the people that you're with. But um, I think God wants to take it to a deeper level. And, uh, you know, for me, I was raised in the Midwest, and then I spent half my adult life in Arizona. But now I've been out here that that same amount of time out here. As a matter of fact, I will have lived in Galax 13 years tomorrow. And the reason I know that is because I got married 13 years ago tomorrow to Trina, who was from Galax. So... I may be from the Midwest, but Galax is my home. And it's interesting, as you hear this message, I think you understand why is that important. So, like I said, this is a little bit personal. Um, To start, I kind of got to read something that I wrote. And uh, it will become self-explanatory, but it's just a little snippet of time in my life. The hospital room was crowded and hot. There was nowhere to sit. And besides being an emotional train wreck, my back was also hurting from standing so long on the hard tile floor. I needed to find a place to sit, and I needed some time alone. She was unresponsive, and the doctor said there was no hope. It was only a matter of days, possibly hours. Nodding to my brother, I slipped away to the little chapel I'd stumbled upon in the hospital a few days before. In the days since I discovered it, I'd been to that little chapel often. Not once was there anybody else there. I was pretty sure that I could slip away there, be alone, pray, and try to deal with my emotions. But I wasn't alone very long. One by one, others came in. First my brother, then my sister and her husband. Finally, my adopted brother and sister. The six of us didn't speak We just looked at each other occasionally, but we prayed on our own. Then gradually something changed. That little chapel's walls began to feel as if they were pushing out, almost as if they were pulsating. And then honestly felt like some other presence was pushing its way in. It was an unseen presence, but it was warm, peaceful, definitely something powerful. Those of us who were standing sat down. And the thought crossed my mind that this was a little bit like what I had read about in 2 Chronicles. Chapter 5. Scripture 1. From 2 Chronicles chapter 5. And the singers raised their voice in praise to the Lord and sang. 
He is good. His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. And I thought, this has got to have something to do with that. This feels like the glory of God. In the middle of our heartbreak, there was God, his presence, and his peace. Peace was the predominant sensation. Although you sensed, I don't know how you can say it, it was almost like peaceful dynamite in that you sensed power way stronger than you'd ever experienced before. But you weren't scared. You might have been reverently fearful, but not scared. Peaceful, warm. It was like getting a great big hug from somebody that you really loved, but stronger, way better. I think it was a God hug. Eventually the cloud that we, that we, I mean, we felt it more than we saw it, but eventually that presence lifted and we were just peaceful and a little bit happy, which might've been the first time we were happy in weeks, months. Finally, my brother spoke up. He said, I've got a few words going around and, and I feel like I got to say them out loud. And I interrupted him. I said, no, you wait. I've got some words floating around in my mind, something that's just kind of welling up inside me. And I feel like I need to say them out loud to you all. <laughs> and my sister laughed. My sister was the charismatic one of our family. She said, no, you wait. God spoke something to me, and I feel like I'm supposed to say it. And we, you know, my brother and my sister and I, we all have a great relationship, and our adopted brother and sister, we just kind of, we were kind of nervous and laughing. My brother finally says, well, let's just all say what's on our hearts at the same time. It's on the count of three. So we said, my brother's older. He's lead. One, two, three. And we all said at the same time, not just us three, but all six of us said, it's not about you. That was what God spoke to us in that time. I find it interesting that God doesn't always say something to you that's perfectly clear at the time. And when we said that, even though that was such a strong phrase and we sensed it, we weren't sure what he was saying to us. You know, what's not about us? That she's laying there dying? Or something else? How could her death, our mom, not be about us? all that she'd suffered, all she was going through. This was in 2001 in the spring. That was actually about a year before, like Mike mentioned last week, Rick Warren led his book, The Purpose Driven Life, with that phrase, that very phrase. And I know it's been around for a while, but um, it was amazing to me after my mom, who had passed away a few days after that, how God was speaking to us even early on, that there's something else I want you to learn by all of this. There's something deeper. There's, there's something more important. And that's really hard to say when you're talking about a family member passing away, especially immediate family. There's something more important than that person passing away. 
There's something more important than that God is doing. I'm starting to get an idea of what it is. It feels, though, like something that, you, that I'm growing into, not something that I just, oh, I've got it. It's not, you get the epiphany, something that just makes sense to you. But this has been more of a learning process since then. I want to tell you a little bit more about my mom. I think that'll help you understand. My mom was mild. It's hard to believe in my family because the three kids weren't like that at all. We were more like my dad. My mom was quiet, timid. She was a nurse. So she was used to standing by a lot of times and not being in the forefront of attention in a conversation. Honestly, when I was real young, I didn't have a lot of respect for her because she didn't stand up to my dad nearly enough in my mind. She was very, very quiet and very timid. She went through, after I left home, I was the youngest. Save the best for last, God did. No, I'm just kidding. After I left home, it was no time at all that my mom and dad got divorced. I think that's fairly common in a struggling marriage is that they stay together for the kids, especially back then. People don't stay together hardly at all these days. But back then, you stayed together till your kids were grown, and that's what they did. So my dad's off living his new life. My mom fell into major depression. And uh, one day she was watching the 700 Club, and I think I might have mentioned this in church before. She was miraculously healed where her uh, neck had been fused, and she couldn't turn without turning her whole body. And so they had her on the show and, and, uh, because she had called in you know, to tell about her experience. She started going to church regularly, and we never went to church when we were growing up, which is odd when you consider that my grandfather was a preacher. But he was also, before he was a preacher, he was a career soldier. He, when he finally got released out of the army after 20 years, he went into the merchant marines because he was a single parent. He didn't know how to raise his kids. So he, he farmed my mom and my uncle off to whoever. So they were estranged for the longest time. And I honestly think that might have been one of the reasons why we never went to church. I had almost zero exposure I mean, to this day, Mike and the gang make fun of me because I don't know hymns. I don't know so much of what church is supposed to be like. You know, all I know is, is this. Well, so they got divorced, and my mom started going to church regularly, and she really, you know, think about this. Here she is, this lady in her 50s, she started, she was all alone. She started spending a lot of time with her Lord and Savior. And she really got to know him well. And you talk about a transformation. This quiet, timid lady became very outgoing. She became a leader in her church. She led over 30 members of my extended family to the Lord herself. And it's certainly she was a witness to me. I, I mean, I, she didn't lead me to the Lord, but she might as well have. You know? She led me down the path. I mean... You just you talk about never seeing something coming. We never saw that with her. She was transformed. She was changed. There was a couple of men that, you know, they admired the godly life of her in the church, and they'd approach her, and she went out with a couple of them. She always told them, you know, Jesus is first and foremost in my life. I'm going to live for him. And so nothing ever got serious. She went to work serving a new master, feeding the hungry and the poor, 
visiting and ministering to the lonely and distressed of our community there in Ohio. She still made time for her, her kids, you know, when we'd come into town and visit. I mean, I was thousands of miles away, but once in a while, holidays and stuff, we'd come in. You know, she was different. We could see the difference, but um, I, I just don't think you always know people the way you think you do. You just kind of see moment snippets out of their life. So when she passed away, the pastor was there, and he recommended, you know, he met with us at the funeral home. He recommended that instead of having the service at the funeral home, which seated a couple hundred people, I mean, it was a big funeral home. He said, let's have it at the church. He said, we've never done a funeral there. He's a very large sanctuary. I've seated about 1,200 in the balcony. He said, let's have it at the church so there's plenty of room. And we're thinking, plenty of room? That's going to be weird, you know? Can you imagine just having a little funeral with three or four rows of people in this great big expanse? But he, he was strong, so he kind of insisted. So we had it there. You talk about a surprise when over 1,000 people show up to your mom's memorial service. You don't know any of them. You know, other than the, the relatives, the immediate relatives. You're like, who are all these people? And they're going through the line telling you how your mom changed their life. I knew I'd get a little emotional in that part. <laughs> she was transformed. She was an amazing woman. And she made an impact on that community. And, and yeah, she might have died young, certainly younger than we wanted. She was, she was wore out in the service for the Lord. And she was definitely ready to go. She poured herself out on that town. And the pastor recommended what to put on her, her gravestone. Obviously, we were heartbroken. You, should, you know, you need to put their names and their dates, what else? But he had us put, uh, which is my next scripture, he had us put this scripture from uh, John chapter 15. Greater love has no one this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And I think... That's truly what she did. So that's kind of enough about my mom and my family, but I want you to understand how, what that, that minister a couple weeks ago spoke about, kind of brought all that back up to me. And I got to thinking how, like I said, she poured herself out in that community. And, you know, we always got a saying in my family, the only smart people from Ohio are the ones who don't live there anymore. <laughs> I mean, I just don't know why you'd live there, you know? <laughs> I grew up in a small town, country town, and so it was, it was nice way back then. But even that town has exploded because it's near an Air Force base. It's not really that great of a place. It's super hot in the summer and super cold, you know, sub-zero sometimes in the winter. I don't understand that, you know? It's, how it's hotter than here in the summer, hotter than even Charlotte, and it's colder. It's just a crazy place there in the Ohio River Valley. Anyway, speaking of place, remember what the, the quote was. Your ministry has to be contextualized to your place. The place matters. Um, Eugene Peterson, you may know him, he's the one that, uh, he wrote the Message Bible. You know, actually wrote that Bible for his congregation. He just wanted to, to kind of explore it in the modern vernacular um, for his people. And then he's written several books. And uh, my point number two for um, this message is something that he said. 
Eugene said, all discipleship is local. It is worked out in particular places, whether rural, suburban, or urban, along roads and streets and avenues, and besides real flesh and blood neighbors. We simply cannot work out our faith dislocated from the world around us. So what did he say? Place matters. Where you are matters. What you're doing in the place matters. Another famous prominent theologian, I don't think I have this in the notes, but is Walter Brueggemann, and he's considered to be one of the the foremost Old Testament scholars of the last several decades. He said this, and I'll just, yeah, I don't have it. I'll just read it, try to read it clear. Place is to be distinguished from space because place is a space which has historical meanings. It's where some things have happened which are now remembered and which provide continuity and identity across generations. Anybody know a place like that? Place is a space in which important words have been spoken, which have established identity, defined vocation, and envisioned destiny or the future. Place is a space in which vows have been exchanged, promises have been made, and demands have been issued. Place is a declaration of our humanness, and it cannot be found in escape, detachment, absence of commitment, or undefined freedom. Place matters. Uh, My wife and I published a small magazine for Surrey County down in North Carolina, and uh, this issue that's about to come out in March, um, we wanted to start hitting on some of the locations in Surrey County. And one of the particular places that I have a fondness for is a place called Rockford, North Carolina. And although I'm not from North Carolina, my mom is. And uh, so all things North Carolina is of interest to me. And uh, Rockford, it's hard to imagine this, I just, I've been there several times, is one of the, was one of, was one of the most foremost towns in all that area down there, in Surrey County, Stokes County, even around Winston-Salem. Because the river was there and the railroad was there, a lot of the industry and the farming came to, there to ship out. And, uh, but now, you know, it's, it's not a ghost town. People still live in most of the homes and the places, although a lot of them are gone. And when it went from a population of about 1,000 um, back in the late 1700s, 1800s, to, I think, 100 and something now. But the Preservation Society there has started the purchase or been donated some buildings and they've been restoring it. So we decided to do our theme for our magazine for March on Rockford. And uh, we have 10 writers that write for the magazine. And I thought, they're supposed to write on theme if they can, and if not, they can veer off of it. I thought, this is going to be hard for them to write on Rockford. But we can write a main article on it and then they can just submit whatever. And you know that every single writer had memories from Rockford. And they all incorporated those memories into the articles. Even the two ladies who write recipes for us had something to say about Rockford. I was just, I was surprised. I'll I'll be honest, please, but surprised. I want to read you a quote from one of the articles. You guys are getting a little bonus. It's not not even printed yet. But this is from one of the articles about Rockford. When I read about Rockford here, think about your home and about Galax in the Twin Counties. 
It seems odd to speak of remembering something that is still very much alive. But in the life of Rockford, as with most of us, the past and the present are forever entwined by threads of both time and place. In a way, the town is much like a vintage tapestry, woven over, over countless years to present a history that, because it collides with the present, is never quite finished. The truth is that today, young and old alike still shed their energy, sweat, and blood to keep this once active center of government, farm, and industry from disappearing. When you, when you hear that, I'll be honest with you, I think of Galax. And I think of Old Town, and I think of Fairview, and I think of all the area around here. We're trying so hard to keep this place from disappearing because it's our place, it's our home. Wherever we're from, this is our home now. The place matters. I wondered if Galax mattered to God, though. And as I was looking through scriptures, I came across uh, my next scripture from Psalm 24. There's a Psalm of David. He said, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. He laid the foundations of the earth on the seas and he built on the ocean depths. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The earth is the Lord's. The world and all its people belong to him. So it's surprising to find that place matters to God. I think it's because, I know it's because of who is there. Who's been there and who's going to be there. Let me tell you, what I believe God is personally speaking to me. It's been kind of like a whisper well up inside me. And I'm not always obedient to this calling, this push from God. But it's my next point. And this is uh, what God's saying to me about my home, my home now. Your family is more than who you think of as your family. Don't draw back from these people in this place. Instead, push in. Who, who here, <laughs> I saw somebody right away, who here is from a large family? Raise your hand. <laughs> I see a few, I know a few. Who has a large family now? <laughs> Eugene. <laughs> Where's Bonnie? Bonnie. We have some large families in this church. When you think about your home, Eugene's talking about selling his because it's not large enough for their ever-growing family. Ever-growing? Maybe, that, maybe I spoke out of turn. But, um, <laughs> me neither. That's just good eating right there. But uh, who, who, if, you, if you've been in a large house or you're in a large house now, you have children, and depending on how many children you have, some of them have more space than others. They have their area. My brother and I shared a room. My sister had her own room. Um, but we, had, we kind of customized that area of the house, we made that our place. And your kids may be that way too. You know, some parents allow less of that, but mostly your kids want to make their little area their place. And it becomes kind of uniquely theirs. I wouldn't want to hang out in my two teenage girls' bedroom. As a matter of fact, I couldn't stand to walk in there. 
I mean, it was, they would spend your money to decorate it the way they liked it, but then they never put anything away. You know, the clothes are all over the place. So I don't know why they bothered decorating it. (laughs) But I'll be honest with you, I lived in a 3,000 square foot house with four teenagers and my wife and I in one bathroom. And I didn't want, I would never have wanted to get rid of even one of those kids. You know, everyone was important in that place. So their place was important. And again, think back to that verse, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. All the people belong to him. They might not accept their parentage, but we are all of the household of God. He is our all individual creators. If you don't know that personally, if you haven't talked to him lately, he's still your father and he's still waiting for you to come to him. Most of you have heard the scripture. It's my next scripture and my points. But I want you to listen to this as if you've never heard it before. That's hard to do when you hear a scripture that you've heard over and over again. But listen to it as as Jesus, who's speaking, actually speaking to you right now in this place. Then he said to them all. So now let's just say he said to you all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Real quick, what's that mean to take up your cross? Does that mean getting rid of hassles? Or you're going to have some inconveniences in your life? What does it mean? What did it mean in that time and that place to take up your cross? Anybody? You were on your way to the crucifixion. It was the day of your crucifixion. They didn't give it to you a week ahead of time. You were on your way to your death. So Jesus is in essence telling us, I want you to offer yourself to me. You know, Paul said it this way in Romans. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. That's why, how he's urging them, is by the mercies of God that have been given to us. To present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Paul's saying, we got to die. Jesus said, you got to die. Fortunately, Paul expounded on that a little bit. In verse 2 of Romans 12, he said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what is the will of God, or what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So as we offer ourselves to him, we're not just dying, but we're going to be transformed into something new. He's given us new life. He, he doesn't want us to just to be dead. He wants us to be more alive than we are now, that we are on our own. Why? If he's just going to take us to heaven and make us perfect then? Because he's not done here yet. And he needs us to help him. There is no one in our own personal house that we want to be gone. We want to be get rid of. I mean, granted, we like it when our children grow up, mature, and move out on their own, but we're not going to just kick them out when they're 10 years old. All the children of our household, 
We want to be healthy, to learn, to grow, to be strong. That's what he wants. You know, he said, the Bible says, he's not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to repentance and acknowledging of the truth about Jesus. He needs our help on that. He needs our help in this place. If you're going somewhere else and he calls you somewhere else, fine. That's fine, because then you'll be ministering in the place that God has called you. But if you're here, you can't be disconnected. Like Peterson said, you must be a part of the place where you are. I want to kind of um, wrap up by saying, we get our inspiration from teachers. We got one of the best Bible teachers I've ever heard as a pastor We get our inspiration from other ministers on TV, from friends, from small groups. And it's important to be inspired, whether it's somebody speaking up here from the pulpit or through a song or whatever. But ultimately, our inspiration needs to come from God. It needs to come from the Holy Spirit. It needs to come from our Master, the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to hear Him for ourselves. That's why I said, listen to his words from Luke. Again, as if you never heard it. Because you may have read it and never applied it to yourself, to your life now in this place. So as the worship team comes back up, I I just feel led to read some more scriptures that apply to us, that are appropriate to us. As we, we continue our journey to be transformed by the Holy Spirit, transformed by God into this new man, this new person that he wants us to become. Because, I mean, to be honest, have you heard that scripture that says, um, that he says to a servant, well done, good and faithful servant? Who doesn't want that when you see God for the first time or you see Jesus face to face? You want him to be glad to see you. If we're going to be his disciples, we do need to be obedient to him as well. And what he's calling us to do, to die, to become a living sacrifice, to die to ourselves, it's incredibly impossible. Let me emphasize, it is impossible without God. You ever tried to just be good? You know, just to be a a good role model? you're eventually going to even fail yourself. But with God's power, knowing who we are in God and in God's family can be an inspiration. Let him continue to speak to you. I want to read you some scriptures and then we're going to finish with some worship. There's a lot of scripture here. Just let it. You know what? Let's kind of bow your heads. Let's just listen to these scriptures again as if we've never really heard them and applied them to ourselves. John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you also may be where I am. John chapter 1. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 1 John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. 
and so we are. Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Galatians 6. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. 1 Corinthians. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Romans 12. So though we are many, we are all one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. I might add God's place. John 13, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Matthew 12, Jesus talking, he said, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mothers and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him but he replied to the man who told him who is my mother and who are my brothers and stretching out his hand towards his disciples he said here are my brother mother and brothers for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother first corinthians 15 therefore my beloved brothers be steadfast immovable always abounding in the work of the lord knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things are new. Philippians 3. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? More about fear. 2 Timothy chapter 1. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of the Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Romans 8 reiterates that. He said, for we are all led by the Spirit of God, our sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Just a few more. Ephesians 2, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. First Chronicles, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. Matthew 6, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And let's conclude with this one from 1 John chapter 2. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Think about, as you go out today and in the weeks to come, what has God called you to do in this place for the people of this place? It's going to be different for every one of us, and that's okay. But he isn't just leaving you to your own desires and wants and needs. Certainly, he wants you to be happy. But he wants all his family, all his children to come home. And I think that's a good thing. I think we all have some people we still want to see come into the family of God, come home. So let's be in prayer. Let's worship the Lord. Lord, I just want to thank you so much for your word, Lord. And God, I just pray that during this time of worship, God, that you would help us to just be free and to just praise your name, Lord, and to just worship you. And just like this song says, we are no longer fear or no longer slaves to fear. We are your children. And God, I pray that you would just move in this place, God, and help us to get out of the way and just let you be seen everywhere we go and in everything we do, Lord.